I suspect most of us struggle with discipline. In fact, we probably think of discipline more negatively than positively. We struggle to discipline ourselves about all kinds of things, right? I mean, you know, and it varies from each one of us, but discipline is something we have to work at. Discipline is something we have to give ourselves to. It just doesn't come naturally to us. I was watching the uh, Australian Open last couple of weeks and just finished this morning. And they, uh, a number of the commentators will be talking about a variety of players, some in particular, who had a lot of talent, but they never go very far in the tournaments. And they keep talking about how they just don't have any discipline. They don't want to practice. They, they don't want to get, get themselves in the right kind of shape. And so they keep... So they have great potential, they keep losing in the first or second rounds and never really accomplish what everyone thinks they can accomplish. And as I'm listening to that, I'm thinking about my own lack of discipline and getting a little bit convicted by that. But we all, we all struggle with these things. And what I find fascinating when you read the words of Jesus that we read this morning, and he's echoing what we see a lot of scripture, is that spiritual disciplines are essential to being citizens of God's kingdom. At the end of chapter 5, we didn't read this, but the very last verse of chapter 5 says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we talked about that some last week. And that word perfect doesn't mean don't ever do anything wrong, but it means to, to the wholeness, the completeness of God, that we, we want what God wants. We want what, who God is. We want to look like our Father. Look like the king of the kingdom. That's what kingdom citizens want. And chapter 5 is really showing us what it looks like to want that. And now as we come to chapter 6, Jesus is saying, in essence, here's how you get to that. Here's how you live. Here's what you do. Here's what life looks like when, when you really want to look like the king. And spiritual disciplines, what he talks about. Now, he doesn't mention all the spiritual disciplines. He talks about uh, giving and prayer and fasting. But he doesn't, there's lots of other spiritual disciplines. Worship, solitude, silence, accountability. The, the, the long list of things that he could talk about. But he uses these as examples. These are things that are, that are a big part of the lives of the people sitting in front of him as he teaches on the mountain. And he uses these as examples to remind us of how significant spiritual disciplines are to being the kinds of citizens in the kingdom who look like the king. And so he starts with good deeds or giving. And as he talks, he was really talking about is, is that citizens of the kingdom understand the spiritual discipline of giving. And we often think of giving as something we do spontaneously. We, we, feel, we feel moved by an appeal or something like that. And so we, we give to something. And that's important. It's good to do that. But I think Jesus is saying, really, the discipline of giving means that we have a plan. We have a pattern. We have something that is a part of our lives that we give in a way that expresses our hearts. Not just when we feel like it, but all the time. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline. And so when we talk about, you know, in the Old Testament, God says that the, the minimum dis, part of the spiritual discipline of giving is the tithe, 10%. That's what he asks of his people. As we come to the New Testament, there's no place in the New Testament that says that has stopped. What it really says is practice the plan of being generous. 
Which means, don't again, don't think about how little I can do and still get by, but think about how much can I do. And the idea of giving is that we, cre- we are creating a spiritual discipline of generosity. That we give because we want to be generous to God who has been so generous to us. He has given everything to us. And we are giving out of a spirit of generosity to Him and thankfulness and gratitude for what He's done. But it's not just about being generous toward other people. The spiritual discipline of giving is also related to helping people in need. Everything that we see about spiritual disciplines are are initially about us and God. But of course, as we know, our, our walk with God is never just about us and God. It's always about us and other people too. John tells us in his first epistle that you can't say I love God and and not love other people. They are connected. They they cannot be separated. And so to be generous toward God is meaning to be generous toward other people as well. And we learn a spirit of generosity toward people. And that takes place what we give to the church, but also everywhere we are. How we tip people in a restaurant. What we do when, when, we, uh, when someone is, is raising funds for a good cause. And granted, we can't help everybody about everything, but there is something in us that says, I want to be as generous as I possibly can. I want to give to the kingdom, give to the church, give to what God is doing in the world, give to help people in need. And it becomes a spiritual discipline for us. It's something that we plan for and we prepare for. And when we do that, then when the spontaneous moments come, that just means we are that much more generous. He talks about prayer. And again, he's, he, when he's talking about prayer, he's talking about developing a deeper sense of intimacy with God. I mean, in, at its heart, prayer is communicating with God, listening to God, pouring out our hearts to God, and letting God speak to us. And it's all about relationship. It's all about intimacy. It's, it's in any relationship we have. If we never talk to each other, if we never have conversations with each other, if we never spend time with each other, I don't think any of us would say that's a really close relationship. It is the being together. It is the conversation, even hard conversations, that create the intimacy of relationship. The kind of relationships we long for. And this is what God has given us, this gift of prayer. But we, so often our prayers are just spontaneous. We're in trouble, so we pray. We have a need, so we pray. Something is burdening us, so we pray. And those are good prayers, and we ought to pray those prayers. But they ought to come out of a spiritual discipline of prayer. That we pray regularly. We have a time set aside, hopefully every day, maybe multiple times every day, that we stop and we pray Because it's important to us. Because God is important to us. Because having a relationship with Him, intimacy with Him, is important to us. And so we make the time to do it. But it also creates a spirit of openness toward other people. As we open our hearts to God, it opens our hearts to people. And the intimacy with God starts creating and shaping our hearts toward other people the way God feels toward other people. And when we come out of praying, one of the most natural things that should happen to us is that we have an even deeper sense of love for other people and seeing their needs and being involved in caring for needs. And then he talks about fasting. I think fasting is sort of like that that distant cousin that shows up at family reunions that you really wish he wouldn't. 
You know, you everybody's like, I don't, it's so awkward. I don't know what to say to them. They don't have, you know, they they they, they get you in a corner and you can't get away from them, and, and and no one really knows much about them. And and you know, everybody's hoping they don't show up, but they do, and then you don't know what to do. And it's really awkward. And I think that's how we feel about fasting. You know, it's sort of like I don't know what to do with this. It was a part of their Jewish culture. It was a part of the rituals of their lives. It's probably rarely a part of our lives. But the value of fasting is that it gives us concentrated time to spend with God. It, it is time to, and it's also a time of disciplining our bodies to say, I, I can miss a meal, not just to miss a meal, but to do that in order to spend more time with God and to concentrate on God. But the, and the other part of that is, often people will take the money they would spend on a meal and give it to people in need. In the scriptures, fasting and justice are always connected. Over and over again, you see this. Isaiah 58 is one of those places. God says, we, or they, people say to God, we fasted before you. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. And God says, I'll tell you why I don't notice it. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. You keep fighting with each other and quarreling with each other. And then he says, the kind of fasting I want is that you free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. On and on he goes about how it's about justice. And there's something about, about disciplining ourselves this way that creates a spirit of wanting to help other people who are in need. And all of the spiritual disciplines are simply helping us think like God thinks and, and to be willing to, to, um, to limit ourselves and to discipline ourselves in such a way that we are more open to God and more open to other people. But as we read what Jesus says here, his biggest concern beyond the fact that we do these things, because you'll notice he doesn't say if you pray, if you give to others, if you fast. He says when you do that, when you do good deeds, when you give. When you pray, when you fast, He is expecting us to do these things. All the spiritual disciplines. But He says, He's concerned about our motives. Why do we do these things? For the people in their culture, a lot of the things they do are to impress other people. Now, Jesus loves hyperbole, and so when He says that they present their gifts with trumpets blaring, I don't think... The, uh, the wealthiest people walk into the temple and all of a sudden they've got this brass quartet on the side going, bum, ba, da, da, ba, da, 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 you know, and they play this tune and then they, they have this great intro and then they drop their coins into the offering plate and everyone cheers for them. But I do think, you go back to the, the story of the widow who put in two little pennies into the offering, they, the pictures are that they had about seven trumpet-like metal containers that people would come to the temp- temple and put their offerings in. And of course, everything was coinage then. And so the more, the more uh, wealthy the coin, the more value of the coin, the heavier it would be and the more noise it would make. And so the rich people would come and make sure that everything was quiet after the trumpets played. And then they, they throw their coins in, as many as they could, and make as much noise as they can. And everyone would say, ooh, look at how wealthy they are. Look how much they give. And then the widow comes along and she puts in a few little pennies and they go, ding, ding. And Jesus says she gave more than they did. Because her motive was right and theirs wasn't. Now Jesus is not saying if you can't give in the right motive, don't give. To give with the wrong motive is better than not giving. 
But he's saying those are not our only two options. You give with the right motive. You give not to impress people. You give because it's the right thing to do. Because it's, it's a spirit of generosity toward God and a spirit of wanting to help other people. And the same way with praying. Again, they would, they would come and, and pray these eloquent prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying eloquent prayers. To, be, to think about what we're praying, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's honoring to God to take time to think about what we pray. But again, the motive was to impress people. So they pray out in the public as loud as they could and people would stand in awe of how awesome these these prayers are. These must be really holy people. And Jesus says, okay, but what I really want is for you to want me. Well, I really want your prayers to be about relationship with me. And so people hear your prayers fine, but that's not really the intent of it. Because I want to build intimacy with you and relationship with you in the same way with fasting. You, know, you, you walk into a room and, and you're going, oh boy, mm, man. Ooh, yeah, I'm only feeling it today. Wow. Mm. You know, if you do that long enough, people are going to say, so are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I've just been fasting for the last two months. I'm just really struggling here. Yeah. Man, it's been awesome though. Oh, ooh, ooh, man. Oh, I'm really hurting, you know. What if, if people are going, wow, this guy's really spiritual, right? And Jesus is saying, that's not the point. Actually, try to make it as if people don't even know you're fasting. Except, they see a little more of Jesus in you. They see a little more openness to God. They sense that you care more about other people. That's the point of fasting. They've been so concentrating on God that when people look and they judge us, it's not because, ooh, they're doing some spiritual things. It's because, wow, they really care about people. They really love God. And Jesus says there are rewards involved in this. Now that makes sometimes makes us a little nervous because people want to take that and run with it. And talk about how you know God, God will reward you if you're good. God will reward you if you do these things. And quite frankly, that's exactly what Jesus says. He says rewards are part of spiritual disciplines. And he says if you do these things to impress people then you will get the reward of impressing people. But if you do these things because you care about God and you care about people, you get the reward that only God can give. Now, he isn't saying that if we do these things to impress people, God's going to stand back and say, well, I'm not rewarding that. I think he's simply saying, you get what you want. And if you want, if you're doing these things because you want to impress people, you'll probably impress people. And you've gotten what you wanted to get. But that's it. But when we do these things, we, we practice spiritual disciplines because we want a closer relationship with God and because we want to, to better love people in this world, then we get that. And again, it takes us back to the Beatitudes. Everything here flows out of the Beatitudes. It takes us back to blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. God loves to bless people. He loves to bless people. It's just a matter of do we want that blessing? Do we want God's blessing? And actually, the blessing that he's talking about, I think a lot of it is freedom. He's talking about setting us free from the bondage of having to live our lives impressing people. If you've ever tried to do that, you know how exhausting that is. And the thing is, you have to keep upping the ante. 
Because what impressed people a month ago is probably not going to impress them today. So we have to do more. We have to pray louder, more eloquent prayers. We have to fast longer. We have to give more. And we have to make a bigger presentation of it. Because we're always looking. Are people watching? Are people seeing us? And it's exhausting to do that. It's bondage. And Jesus is saying, you can be set free from all that. The blessing of God is not about people thinking you're so awesome. It's about intimacy with the Father. It's about being a part of the kingdom. It's about being set free. It's about participating in what God is doing in the world. It's about being agents of reconciliation and hope and grace and truth and love. Being a part of the kingdom. One of his books, C.S. Lewis, talks about how this whole idea of rewards that kind of seem mercenary to us don't seem to bother Jesus at all. And he said, when you think about it, he said, I think what Jesus is saying is that our, our desire for God's rewards are not too strong, they're too weak. We settle way too easily, way too quickly. He says, we're like... We're like little children building mud pies in the slum with no idea that we are invited to go on a holiday to the beach. We settle. We settle for people thinking we're so awesome and missing out on the intimacy of of God's presence in our lives and being the people He created us to be and the joy of that and the freedom of that. He goes on to talk about this how some people outside the church think that this whole idea of rewards, that it does feel a little bit mercenary. And he says, well, it all depends on what you're working toward. If you marry someone because they are rich or because they will add some status to your life, then yes, that's mercenary and it's a bad reason to marry someone. But if you marry someone because you love them, that's the right thing to do. That's the most natural thing to do. That's what happens. That's what, that's what you want to happen. And that's the way it is in the kingdom. It's not that we're mercenaries. It's just that we want to know God. And we want to be like God. We want to, we want to be filled with the Spirit of God. So that we can live life as He created us to live. And I'm convinced that, that all of this comes back to our view of God. Why do we so often... Why do we so often practice spiritual disciplines and live our lives to get the attention of other people? Why is, this, why is it less important than you would think that we would sacrifice in order to, to gain the blessings of God? I think it's because we have a skewed view of God. Because we, when you really push comes to shove, we believe that the rewards of this earth are better. And the rewards of the eternal kingdom. And so we work for these things. We live for these things. So when he talks about, you know, being like people who, who pray babbling, the reason he's really talking about that is they're trying to convince the gods to do something good for them. They're trying to convince the gods to, to love them, to care about them. 
Jesus says, don't do that because your heavenly father knows what you need. He loves you. He cares for you. He's going to tell us in chapter seven. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And it's a skewed view of God. It causes us to think that the accolades and the admiration of people is better than anything God could give us. So we, we play act. No, we, we pretend. We do all of these things thinking that the short term is better than the long term. The immediate is, a, is better than the, than the eternal. And we miss out not only on the eternal, but we miss out on the immediate. And the joy of life lived in the presence of God comes back to being willing to sacrifice, being willing to discipline ourselves, being willing to practice these things, these gifts that God has given us so that we might know Him more and be open to Him more and in turn, love others and care for them. All of my years growing up, my mother was a piano teacher. Most of the time, she had about 30 students she taught every week. Wow. Come home from school and you listen to that for three hours. It make you want to do anything else. And she taught my sisters and me. We took lessons for a number of years. And I don't usually talk about this. And I don't, I don't usually play for people. But I thought to make a point this morning, I'm going to do that. And you all, you should count yourselves privileged. Because not a lot of people get the chance to hear me play very much. You have to get warmed up right here. Yes. Now I can change keys too, but that just feels like I'm showing off. That's it. That is the extent of my repertoire of piano playing. Because I don't want to play piano. I don't want to practice. I like the idea of playing the piano, but I didn't like the idea of what it took to get to the place of playing the piano. And I fought with my mother, and I whined, and I complained. I know it's hard for you to believe that, but I got angry, and I you know, slammed on the keys, and I did everything I could in my power to get out of playing piano. I didn't want to play Carry Me Back to Old Virginia another time. And all the others, I didn't want to do the scales. I wanted to go out and play basketball with my friends and baseball and football and hang out with my friends. I wanted to do anything else but play piano. And so eventually, after years of putting up with this, my mom said, fine. I'm not going to make you keep doing this anymore. But don't come back to me later and say, why did you let us quit? Because my sisters and I both did the same thing. And we all went back to her and said, why did you let us quit? And I lament the fact that I can't play when I had the opportunity right in front of me. But I had such an immature, childish view of playing the piano. And I recognize, unfortunately, that sometimes I have an immature, childish view of the spiritual disciplines. 
I can't see beyond the moment and what I want to do and, and life in the moment. And I can't see the great things that God wants to do in the future if I am just willing to practice spiritual disciplines in a way that honors Him and changes my heart toward Him and toward other people. I don't know. Maybe the, the discipline that God is maybe put into your mind this morning. Maybe it's one of these three things that Jesus talks about. Maybe it's something else. He's asking this us, this of us, not because he's trying to to make our lives miserable, because he wants to fill our lives with joy and with his presence, and to bless us, to set us free. Because he is good, and loving, and merciful, and he wants nothing but the very Father, we pray that you will make us open to you, to the things that you want to do in us. Give us for our immature selfish perspective set us free we pray this through Christ Amen